Welcome to the There Is More podcast. My name is Karen. And I'm Rachel. And we are here just to help women dream bigger, pray bolder, and live empowered because we believe that there is more. Today, we are talking to Paul Young, the author of The Shack. And if you haven't seen it, you got to go watch it. But listen to this podcast. You are going to be blown away at the tenderness of this man to his own story that he's told hundreds and hundreds of times. And just the ability that he has to not future trip. I think that was the one thing, like his mind is so renewed to the truth of God. I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. Welcome to the There Is More podcast. Ah, there he is. Hey, <laughs> there I am. Hey, good morning. So glad to did be with it. you. We are, um, so ready to get into this interview, so we're just going to go for it. We introduced you a minute ago, yes. so you didn't have to hear all that. <laughs> hear us gush about how much we love you. <laughs> wow, thank you. I'm honored to be with you. Oh, thank you. We just love you. We wrote a Bible study called Father's House, and I really believe that your influence That's right. um, mm -hmm. is on every page. It, it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh. You know, one of the things that Rachel and I really address in Father's house and that, we, that, that God has, we've had encounters with him where he has brought us out of shame. Both of us have a background of shame with sexual abuse. And I know that's, um, that's part, of, part, part of, of my story. story. Yeah. Can you give them kind of the cliff notes? Because uh, I, I think your story is so beautiful and it. You know, if we jump right into what you teach us in the shack and what we, you know, experience, I think we miss out on such a significant piece. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. Um, I'm an evangelical Christian missionary kid, preacher's kid. And that's about enough right, <laughs> right there. That's, that's, that's a pretty he heavy burden to bear in its own right. But yeah. that's my people that I talk about. And uh and I grew up, I was a year old, grew up in the highlands of New Guinea. Um, at about five, the, the tribal culture that I felt, I felt more family to than my own parents because they were doing the mission. And so I was raised, Donnie, I was raised as a tribal person. And so the sexual abuse in the tribal culture began somewhere around five years old. At six, I'm sent away to missionary boarding school where it continued. And so that became sort of a framework for another, another reason to become a rationalist so that you can compartmentalize parts of your heart, you know, and you can right. live in your head um, uh, because you don't want to deal with the other stuff. Mm -hmm. came, came back to Canada. I'm Canadian born. Came back to Canada when I was about 10 and uh, moved around a lot. My dad was an itinerant pastor, 13 schools by the time I graduate high school. And, uh, and, and, a lost boy went to Bible school because I didn't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the, it's the only world I really knew. I mm -hmm. uh, did a lot of jobs, ended up in um, finishing college in Portland, Oregon. I was actually on my way to um, Los Angeles before Portland and just got sideswiped uh, in retrospect by the love of God wow. and, and a community of people there. Um, who were outside my box. And in the next few years, <clears throat> well, I graduated a year later because um, I'd done three years of theology up in Canada. Graduated a year later, um, almost got killed by a car 
uh, I was a pedestrian and, um, and, you know, by this time I was sort of dabbling in an, in encounter with Jesus. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, uh, <clears throat> I've always had a great desire to know God. That was never a question for me, really, even though rationally I looked at other religions and science and all of those things. And I love science. I just, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's very left brain. And so it, it works for me. Yeah. Um, after that car accident, which, which knocked me for a loop. I mean, it literally almost killed me, knocked me two houses down the street. And, and there's a whole story about that, but I've I had, never, I've listened to so many interviews that I've never heard that. Right. Place. Right. Jeez. Yeah. Had complete amnesia. Didn't know what year it was. Didn't know oh, what yeah, yeah, yeah. country I was in. And, um, and the only relationship that I knew was Jesus. That was the only one that I knew. And, um, but it, it knocked some things completely out of my life. And because of that accident, um, I, I really, it's because of that, that turned me a different direction. And I ended up marrying Kim, who really saved my life. Yeah. Um, and she paid too high a price. Not, not too high a price, but she paid a high price for yeah. it. Um, and anybody that knows my story knows, you know, so 13 years after we were married, we had our sixth child. Um, Kim caught me in a three month affair with one of her best friends. And that broke the world. It, yeah. it broke my ability to compartmentalize the way that I had it. And I really came to a, a crossroads decision on whether to either kill myself, which suicide had been a, a companion my entire life. Um, and then, because it's the last way to run away, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, for a lot of us anyway, and or or try to change. And so that's when I went, pulled the yellow pages off the shelf, looked under C for counselors, looked down the list starting with the A's and ran into Agape Youth and Family Services, total strangers. And for the first time in my life, I asked for help. That's exactly what I said. Can you help me? Yeah. And then end, ended up with Scott Mitchell, who became my friend eventually. Uh, he was my therapist for nine months, and then um, we became friends. And uh, I worked really hard. And, and it took Kim and I 11 years to heal. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a long time. But, you know, when you are broken and you hit the bottom, you start putting a time frame on your process. And uh, I didn't go to therapy to try to fix our marriage. I'd blown that up. I didn't go to try to fix Kim. I couldn't even heal myself. Why would I try to do something so audacious? I went there to see if there was a way to change. And it was either change or die. Because yeah. I, I, I didn't want to go through ever another experience where I hurt people as much yeah. as I did. In fact, if I'd have hurt one more person, I think I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have lived. And wow. uh, so 11 years later, um, the 12th year was the year I turned 50. And so there was something kind of special about a 50, right. you know, and um, it's the year that uh, the past is forgiven. Yeah. And, um, right. and I felt, I felt finally, I felt like a whole person. And it was Kim wow. who'd said, you know, someday as a gift for our kids, would you just write something that puts in one place how you think? And yeah. later she told, later she told me it was like, she was thinking four to six pages. And, um, 
That's what but I, I stepped into a river. I finally said, you know what? I'm like one of the healthiest people that I know. I've got no secrets. I have no addictions. I'm the same person in every situation, which had never happened right. you know, in my entire life. I played to whoever the audience was because I had nothing of value on the inside. So I tried to find my value on the outside. Yeah. Um, and I lived an outside in world until I went through these 11 years. And, uh, and I thought, ah, I'm finally to the place. And, and we had lost everything. Um, basically, those 11 years was a spiral into deeper trust. That's what it yeah. was. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so over the course of those 11 years, I went to the places where I, I trusted and said, instead of the character and nature of Papa God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And, um, and I, I finally was at a deep enough place. It's not that I can't get triggered and all that kind of stuff, but uh, that I felt healthy as a human being. And yeah. uh, so my 50th year, the year after the 11 years, and I count those 11 years because at the beginning of 2005, we were sitting in a circle of friends mm -hmm. who knew my story because it was not, my adultery never became a new secret, right? It was like, you're either done with secrets or you're going to hold on to little pieces of darkness, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, and we are as sick as the secrets we keep. Oh, amen. Amen. Yeah. So we're in this circle, and Kim says to them in front of me, you know, I never thought I would ever say this, but it was all worth it. Yeah. And and she wasn't justifying adultery, because there's there's no way to justify adultery. Right. She she was saying. You know, there's nothing so lost that God doesn't know where it is or so broken that he can't heal it or so dead that he can't raise life out of it. And yeah. and that's what it felt like for me. And I knew that we were finally reconciled, forgiven a long time before this because Kim needed to be free because forgiveness is always for the sake of the victim. Yeah. And, but rec reconciliation is for the sake of the perpetrator. And um, so I finally felt whole enough kim had been for four years saying would you write something for the kids and on the train mostly to one of my three jobs i wrote a story for them in time for christmas it was the only thing i had to give them that year I love that. and i made the 15 copies copies at office depot in gresham oregon on their photocopier and <laughs> made it look pretty by a little spiral thing on the side with a oh, yeah. plastic cover and i said the shack by Mackenzie ellen phillips with william p young oh, wow. and and there's a couple jokes in there that my kids would understand one is i'd never have gone by william it's my first name but i've always <laughs> gone by paul and um and rachel was duly correct and I was, I was kind of like <laughs> I don't know you, so I'm going to call you William to start yeah. with. And you're like, I'm one of four generations of Williams who have never gone by William. You know? so, <laughs> I get it. I get yeah. it. And you avoid the first, second, thirds, and junior, seniors that way. Yeah. And, um, and the Mackenzie Allen Phillips is because Mackenzie's me. You know, um, yeah. his, his name, the initials spell map. And and Missy's initial, initials spell map, Melissa Ann Phillips. And so I'm weaving the story of those two characters together. Um, Mackenzie is 
the journey I had to go through. You know, I condense 11 years down to this weekend. And, uh, and, and Missy is the child who was, who was murdered at five years old. Mm. So, so you, so you have, in a sense, the resurrection of this child and, and the journey of this man woven wow. together. Right. So that's, that's where the shack was rooted and came from. And, uh, and, you know, I made the 15 copies, never considered becoming a, an author. It didn't even cross my mind, you know, and it, and those 15 copies did everything I ever wanted that little book to do. Um, six went to the kids, Kim and I kept a copy and the leftovers I gave to my friends. My friends started giving it to their friends that started a whole chain reaction that ended up with it being published and becoming this thing, you know, this yeah. kind of living thing that exactly. went, like blew around the world that nobody yeah. saw coming, especially us. So since that happened, I've sort of been like a third party watching. Yeah. And, and I, t I say that, you know, the book didn't add anything to me except one thing, because by the time I wrote it, I'd resolved all the basic things that mattered, identity, mm -hmm. worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose, destiny, community, and love. Um, the one thing the book has given to us is that it's been constantly an invitation to walk on the holy ground of people's stories, yeah. right? So it's, it's like, you know, if you hear people are eternal beings because of the indwelling presence of Trinity, right? Mm -hmm. So when you hear their stories, you're seeing how the burning bush became the burning bush, yeah. right? Where everything that is not living is destroyed. You know, all the deadwood is burned away so that, that you by nature become attractive, that you become this burning bush that mm -hmm. is by its own existence um, what matters. And when you hear the stories, you hit, you get to hear this precious journey that people are on. So that's what I, mean, it's, it's kind of almost a daily experience that I get to yeah. take my shoes off, you know? Yes. So there's, there's your overarching cliff notes. So my question is during the 11 years that you were doing, you know, therapy and healing, I know you were, you you had encounters with God and what facilitated that besides just the church services or the Jesus, you know, the out of the box Jesus people, what were those like? What what did that yeah can, can you name a few? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like I like, feel that I feel that burning question of yeah. well I, how did you what did you how did you get to this point of being able to write a book where you needed nothing? You were so rooted what what happened to take off all these layers of shame? I I got there poorly. <laughs> well, it worked. Messy. It, it, yeah, it messy. Uh, one of the basic uh, motivators was desperation, right? Yeah. And and it was it was the redemption of shame. Shame shame really pushed me in that direction. Yeah. And and. Over those 11 years, it was the ongoing eradication. Like I said, it's not that I can't get triggered, but I don't stay there as long. And I've learned to laugh at myself and I have company, <laughs> you know. So, um, so, you know, parts of it were beginning to allow people, especially men, into my life. Um, I sat at a little men's study in North 
East Portland for, and I, and for five years, I think I never said a word. I, I just didn't say one thing because my history was rooted in, in language and in the capacity to talk. Mm. Right. And so it was, it was part of my survival skills. It was a defense mechanism. And I just needed to sit there and, and be silent. Another, wow. another great motivator was that I, I married the wrath of God. That's <laughs> Kim, Kim, Kim was born in North Dakota, Minot. Oh, and, uh, tough, pull you, yourself up by the bootstraps. Yep. There's no 50 shades of nothing, you know? So it's and and so you know i used to be terribly afraid of the wrath of god it was it was that which was out to destroy me because i was such a piece of crap and and so uh i have i love that element of the character of god because i've learned that that part of god's nature is never against me it is fully focused, like any parent knows, it is fully focused on everything that is not of love's kind yeah, that right. restricts, restricts our capacity to being human. Mm-hmm. And um, so part of this journey was, was to really begin to see the nature of God differently, the ontology of God, you know, uh, which ontos is being. So it's words or study about being, B-E-I-N-G. And um, so much of what I had experienced in my life had, had communicated to me a complete misunderstanding about the nature of God, like the wrath of God, or, you know, I, I was confused about the character and nature of God. Yeah. And, um, and if you get the nature of God wrong, you're going to get everything wrong. Absolutely. So, so I had really bad ideas about the nature of God, which which then translated into really bad ideas about the nature of being human. Yeah. Cause I, I'd grown up with total depravity and you're a piece of crap. And, and um, you know, God loves you because he feels bad for you, you know, but, but Jesus will come along and wrap you up into his righteousness so that the God, the father doesn't know that you're, you're a piece of crap. So much of my theology had to be, redeemed deconstructed oh my gosh and some of us you know deconstruction can be a very gentle process and for Mm -hmm. some people it has to be um more like an art restoration expert Mm -hmm. where they just taking off the thin layers of that which doesn't belong Mm -hmm. um but some of us need a bulldozer and a wrecking ball and and i did bulldozer and a wrecking ball you know um and you know the adultery and kim's fury um, were bulldozer wrecking balls. And um, there was a, a lot of gentleness on the part of Scott Mitchell, the therapist, but that gentleness had incredible confrontation, you know. And when I walked in the first day, you know, yellow pages, pull it off your shelf. And and I walked in and the, for the first time in my life said the words, can you help me? Scott goes, yeah, I can help you, but it's going to take a year and a half. And I said, well, I'm in. And he just laughed. He said, Everybody who sits where you are, they always say they're in, but after a couple months and they feel a little better about themselves and a little, they, they are more collected in control, they bail out right before the really hard stuff. But there is, there is a gift to hitting the bottom, even though you don't have to. Uh, My friend, Brad Jerzak says, it's kind of like you're on a train or in an elevator and in a train, you can, you can get off before it hits 
the end of the route or in an elevator before it hits the bottom, you can push the floor number and get off, right? You can go look for help. You can just find a different way, right? Rather than let the elevator just crash into the bottom. But some of us either were too broken or too lost or, you know, we're the prodigal younger boy, right? And, um, and we've got to hit the end of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got to sort of blow everything. Kind of out of which, money, out of everything. Yeah, 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 out of personal internal resources, out of the lies yeah. that have kept us alive. Right. So, you know, that was, that was exactly what I needed. And Scott told me it would take a year and a half. And it took nine months. And at the end of, wow. and I, I said, I said to him, I don't need you to be asking me how I feel about this. I need to know if you can get me from A to Z. Yeah. Can you do that? And he said, I can. And, um, and then I said, I'm in, I almost killed myself about four months into it. And wow. uh, because wow. it was, it was so, so hard. It was so hard. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, but I, I worked hard and Scott said that. Uh, and when he said, you're done at nine months, I said, it's only been nine months. He said, he said, we talk about you in mm-hmm. the thera- therapeutic community. Wow. He said, we've never seen anybody work this hard wow. and stick to it. Mm-hmm. And the reason was it was life or death for me. Right. Um, you know? And, Did you um, go every day, Paul, to therapy? No, I went twice a week. Twice and a then, week. then I had to work on my stuff. And I would call Kim, you know, and tell her. I lived in the house. She never booted me out of the house, but, but it was uh, that was part of the fury. You know, in that house lived her father, right? The first person that I had to tell because we weren't keeping secrets, and. Uh, and he lived with us 17 years before he passed away and and entered into the full embrace of Jesus. But he, you know, when I had to tell him the first night, um, and I, I I was hoping he would handle this like my dad, who who was a furious um, disciplinarian, right? He just was. He he was abusive in his discipline. And um, so I, I was hoping that Willard would beat the crap out of me because that's what I felt I deserved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and all I saw was his heartbreak and leak down his face. You know. Wow. Wow. And he, he never raised a voice against me or a hand against me. Wow. And uh, and I lived with him in this kindness. And I, I have defenses for fury. I have defenses for physical abuse, you know. Um, oh yeah. I I can compartmentalize and I can disassociate and all that. Yeah. I have no defenses for kindness or yes. love or um, grace, you know. And his name's Willard, but we all called him Willie. The Willie in the shack is Kim's dad. Wow! 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 You know? And and it's the one Mackenzie can't get away from, you know. Wow. So um, that was um, that was a great shattering kindness, wow. and uh, so yeah. So this encounter stuff, and I've always had bits and pieces of encounter, you know. And I've always been desperate 
to know love and to know God yeah. and all of those things. It just, I didn't know how to get there. And right. I was, I was too afraid of exposure. Right. You know, and that's why we end up being as sick as the secrets we keep. And right. ex- exposure becomes a gift, even though it's terrifying. Right. You know, and, and, and this event of adultery absolutely shattered my capacity to hide. Yeah. And, and it was like, oh, I want to keep more secrets and do this again. Right. And it was like, no, I'm, I'm so desperate to work toward wholeness. Yeah. That, you know, and I thought Kim would never, would never trust anything that changed, you know. And so when I told her what I was working on, she would just say, yeah, right. You know, and it was yeah. like, so what? So what? And, she wasn't going to give you anything. Yeah. Oh, nothing. And why should she? Right. You know, you know and, and it was, it would be wrong to suddenly make, you know, make her the perpetrator, which I've yeah. seen a lot of times. It's like somebody commits adultery and then suddenly, you know, suddenly the spouse becomes the perpetrator somehow. Right. The blame right. shifts to the spouse because the person doesn't want to own what they've done. You cannot go through the process of reconciliation, which is a process. Forgiveness is actually quite simple compared to reconciliation. Absolutely. Because no, reconciliation, word. yeah, you have to tell the truth and yeah. you have to own your stuff right. and you have to change over time. Right. You know, and um, yeah. and so it's not like that. Uh, yeah. Like forgiveness is to free the victim reconciliation is to heal the perpetrator right and so yeah different journey so encounter became really significant and uh and learning to tell the truth to god you know um i've prayed all kinds of prayers my whole life but they were all fear-based trying appeasement prayers yeah yeah you know and um you know, and, yeah. this morning I was thinking about the prodigal son's story, and I always tell people just how incredibly grateful, because I was the prodigal, and, and how grateful I am that, that that story, you know, is in, uh, to me, it's probably the most important story that was embedded in scripture for us, and, mm-hmm. and just that thought of how I used to always think that repentance happened when he decided to leave the pig pen. And how God so changed that to be that repentance happened when he experienced love and let mm-hmm. himself be clothed with yeah. the garment and, and take the filthy rags off. And I just, I think the thought I'm having right now, Paul, for that five-year-old little boy um, called Paul, mm-hmm. um, and yet how grateful I am for the child of God, Paul, that went on the journey you went on and, and you were so willing to, you know, open your heart for all of us to enter in so that we could, you know, that's so our heart too, is to just see people be restored and healed. And yeah. um, just so grateful for it. But no. so then you I, I was, I was both prodigal sons. Yeah. Yeah. The one in the field too, you mean? The older brother, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. which is which me. is the religious yeah. one, yeah, right? totally. <laughs> and and so at the end of that story, it's the religious one that you don't know if he's going to be healed or not. That's right, right. Yes. And yeah, it's that's... it's the it's the one who hit the bottom and was exposed. And yeah. and like I said at the end of that story, those three parables are so powerful because the woman in the house is the Holy Spirit. All the language in that in that story is Holy Spirit language. The lamp. 
um, the coin, wow. the what, well, everything. The the shepherd is Jesus. Yeah, and then you and then you've got the Father. So you've got entire the entire activity of God as Trinity working toward our healing. Sometimes wow. you can you can get lost in the house, right? Yeah. And sometimes sometimes wow. you're the sheep that is so stupid it it just wanders into and down into a ditch or something. And then you've got the two sons who are looking at life from totally different perspectives. Yes. And um, and the father waits for one and pursues the other. And um, so uh, it's absolutely stunning, those three parables, yeah. like you were saying. Um, anyway, complete your thoughts, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, so um, I'm, I'm thinking about, let's, let's kind of transition into the shack. And okay. because I love, you know, one of the main themes of it is really addressing pain. And the question that all of us have, Rachel, is, well, you're, you're probably better off asking this question around it. Um, well, yeah. it's, it's just so fascinating because, you know, we do widows retreats. So we've taken 200 plus widows who are young widowed wow. and they Talk have children. And I'm widowed twice. So my first husband died mm. when I was 23. My second husband died when I was 30 and I had two children. Mm. And so suffering, you know, has been the story of my life. But Paul, like you the goodness of God has become my theology. Like I don't mm. have any other theology. And when people, I'm so offended when people want to put another theology on God, like his sovereignty or the will of God or all these things that we have as our scapegoat escape to like make it okay to not believe that he's good. Right. And so that is something that you have just, yeah, tackled. Like you live in that space, and and I just, you know, my question is like, how do you address like suffering for people listening? They're yeah. like, why do bad things happen? This sucks. Yeah. I mean, like it just does. I mean, I yeah. would never have wanted to lose two husbands, but I see the who and not the why now. And I'm sure you've seen that for your kids. Sure. Just in writing the shack, it was for your kids, but yet. I, Karen, millions and millions of people were on the other side of your theology of his goodness. Right. Right. If God is not good all the time, God is never actually good at all. Right. So, again, if we if we get the ontology of God wrong, we get everything wrong. And a lot of what we've been taught is that God is good, but his kind of goodness allows him to kill people, right. including babies and children and stuff like that. And and so my question back is, do you want a universe in which love exists or not? Right. Because God could have chosen not to create and we wouldn't be having this conversation or God could have chosen that the universe is just based on natural law, a big machine. Or God could have chosen to create a big machine with this one part of the machine called a human being who is so sophisticated that it thinks it has personal agency, but doesn't, right? Or God could have chosen a universe in which there is natural law, but there is this creation that is, that is built out of the very nature and character of God and has personal agency. Mm -hmm. And that's the only universe in which love can exist, yeah. which means that God has a high view of humanity and our choices actually matter. In fact, one of the things about God's ontology is that God constantly submits. 
And that we weren't taught. Right. We, we were taught sovereignty in a way that God is in control. Right. Like a puppet master. That's exactly That's right. right. That's so, right, Paul. Yes. So God's view of humanity is so high yeah. that God constantly submits to our choices. Right. And here we are made in the image of God. And we have the capacity to say no to love, to say no to goodness, to say no to kindness, to say no to kindly relating to the cosmos, to the planet, mm -hmm. to one another. And so what is God to do? If God steps in and makes any choice for you, then love ceases to exist. Wow. Right? This is the way God has chosen to create the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And again, if, if how many times have you asked God, would you just do this? Would you just make my choices? Cause I'm so bad at it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and God says, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Because then you lose personal agency mm -hmm. and we lose relationship and love ceases to exist. Yeah. Wow. Right. So, so we live in a world in which, there's natural law, so tragic things happen, yeah. but we couldn't live here. Like, if there wasn't a virus, um, if there weren't viruses, we could not live on this planet. It'd be one microbial soup with no water, no, no ability for a, a water cycle. You know, mm -hmm. viruses are absolutely necessary, but when we don't know how to love well, and this cosmos groans because it doesn't have the revelation of, of the children of God acting in love, yeah. then all things go sideways. Yeah. Wow. You know? And, Paul, I, yeah. I heard last night, God is not trying, we were, we were given the, the offering at this meeting I was at, and they said, God's not trying to take anything from you. He's trying to get something to you. And I just thought... My gosh, isn't that it? He's always trying to get something to us that's better. Yeah. Yeah. And so if, why would God give you, why would God change a rock into bread because you think you need food? When rocks, they're not made to turn into bread, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's like, no, this issue is the issue of trust. Trust in the goodness of God. Why would God give you something when it's not the best? Yeah. Right? And so a, a lot of our issue, you know, a few months ago, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. What? I, I know. I've never had epilepsy. And uh, I've never had anything, really. You know, I've had accidents and stuff like that. But, uh -huh. but, but now I have epilepsy. And, and it was, you know, that accident I told you about? They yeah. think it was from that because mm -hmm. it tore the myelin off my neuro circuits and now they're sparking. And it's taken me all these years to get to the place where it's, I'm having little seizures, right? And uh, it started last May. Well, is God waiting for me to get enough people to pray so that we can twist his arm so that he, that he is then going to heal me? No, you know, and it's like, I've asked God to heal me. He loves me. And up till today, he said no, which means that this great redeeming genius, Papa God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, knows that out of the brokenness of this planet, in my life, there will be something better than just a healing. Healings are temporary anyway. And, and one of the beautiful things that's happened to me because of epilepsy 
And there's no fear involved. And I think that has a lot to do with how much I've worked on just staying in the grace of the moment, yeah. which is a whole nother subject. But, yeah. um, but we uh, have that down as a question. <laughs> good. That's good. Yeah. So one of the great gifts that, that has emerged from having epilepsy um, and it's left frontal lobe focal point epilepsy, um, which impacts the data center. So I'm, I really struggle with um, names, right? Names of people and things like that. Without, it hasn't affected the, the side, which is creative and works with concepts and ideas and all that kind of stuff. But one of the great gifts is that it has, it has torn down my ability to compartmentalize my rationality from my emotions, right? Wow. So now I, I get to feel more fully what I know. Wow. And so, uh, and so I know I love Kim. And over the course of our almost 42 years of marriage, and by the way, we're the best we've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 42 years, I I have slowly begin, begun to dissolve my capacity to compartmentalize and disassociate, right? It's been a slow process of, of healing. And suddenly, because of this epilepsy, I get to feel what I know. And I know I love her. And so in the last year, since last May, a year ago, our relationship has just blown up in the best sort of way. Because I'm more capable of participating as a, a, a more whole person. Wow. And, it's, and it came out of epilepsy, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and again, God is a great co-opter of the brokenness of the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, God never kills people. Yeah. And we, we kill people. And, and, and yeah. children are, I mean, here you have two people who make this decision to bring into being a child and their, their reasons could be really dark, you know, could be the backseat or rape, or, you know, it could be an intention of love. It could be all of these things. And what does God do? Submits to genetics, submits to history, submits to all of these things and adds life to this baby who sometimes doesn't make it right. But that baby then becomes an eternal being who is yeah. inside the embrace of, of Papa God and Jesus inside of you. And is that, why doesn't God fix it? Because God has a high view of humanity and submits to our choices in a broken world. Mm. And, and other than that, that if you, then you end up with a God who is sometimes good and sometimes bad, whose arm you have to twist that, you know, and it's like, no, that's not true. It's because of love that God will not fix the problems that we have brought into being, but will never leave the problems or, and we're in them, will never abandon us or forsake us, yeah. but will be with us completely throughout us dealing with whatever we have to deal with. And that concludes part one of our conversation with Paul Young, the Mr. Amazing Paul Young. And we hope you're going to join us next week for part two. It is incredible what he's got to share with us. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you then.